Hey, party people, it's me, Jamie Murphy, um, on my podcast. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking to the man, the myth, the legend of our cyber industry, Simon Church. His resume and his career speaks for itself over 30 years. Um, but more than anything, a really great guy. But I want to get a little bit under under the skin of Simon, understand what makes him tick and, you know, hopefully get to know him a little bit better. So I'm really looking forward to doing it. Well, this is exciting. Um, a new experience for us, Simon. Certainly very, very new with you talking to me as opposed to me talking to you. On James. the couch, yeah, yeah. together. Yeah, scary. As we should have been. Socially distant, which is even v better for very, me. Yeah. Very, very. farther away I can keep from you, the better, I think. No, yeah. I think yeah. I think that's the wise thing. <laughs> Look, I'm looking, really looking forward to today having a, having a chat with you. Um, you know, trying to find a little bit more out about you. You know, I've known you for many, many years. Um, I hold your secrets, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure <laughs> secrets, but I think, you know, what I'm trying to do, as I always do with these conversations, is, you know, to get to know you a little mm -hmm. bit more, to kind of, you know, find out what really motivates and, and drives you. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, the industry that we're in, the corporate world mm -hmm. as such, kind of sometimes makes you hide behind really what are the things yeah. that drive you, because it's not always about numbers and yep. figures they're important um and you know I, I love hitting goals and targets mm. but i think you know i'd love to hear a little bit more about you and mm. what drives and sure. motivates you and it's interesting because um you know you you know look at your cv your resume <laughs> it's a big one isn't it uh, yeah. th 30 years yeah, just over 30 years. Yeah, if I count my year out in uh, in uni, I just spent a whole year out in industry. I think it's 32 years now. So, yeah. Wow. Long old time in tech, tech degree. Tech, 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 tech. Yeah, that's all I've done. Lots of stories. Um, looking yeah, forward to, to getting in, into into some of those. Um, but before I talk about a little bit about us specifically, yeah. where, where did it all start for you? Uh, uh, it's a very long and very short question. So I, I was lucky enough to grow up in a family that, that was um, a very sporty family, uh, had a huge work ethic. Um, and I would say I was probably more sport functioned than, than, than uh, and socially functioning as opposed to academically functioning. Did okay academically. Um, my father and brothers ran a business an engineering business, a measurement control business, which is really quite interesting because of where we are with OT and OT security now. All that knowledge that I picked up as a teenager working part-time, you know, summer jobs and whatnot and holiday jobs for, for the company um, is now sort of coming back to the fore. But I would say it was just the work ethic. Um, and I think to a certain extent, never being particularly academically gifted, I knew I could work my way through a problem. Um, I went to school with a lot of guys that were crazily intelligent and just lazed around and just crammed for a few exams towards the end of the year and got through it, whereas that wasn't really me. And that sort of carried on through, that work ethic. Um, I did a year out in industry. I went to you know an average, uh, average poly. I went to Leeds Poly, but did a really good degree in computing and operational research. Um, and that made me, or part of that course was I had to do a year in industry. 
And again, I lucked out with that. I worked for a company in Harrogate and uh, in North Yorkshire. And uh, I basically was given my own project. So I did everything. So analysis, design, implementation. You know, uh, I, I, I did the training and then the ongoing support. So coming out of out of poly, I basically had five jobs to pick from because I, I knew I wanted to go into a consulting business or analysis consulting and uh, managed to get into an organization called LBMS, um, which back in the day was pretty well known. It, it uh, developed government standards, computer-aided software engineering tools back in the 80s and, and 90s. Um, and I grew through that company from being a consultant systems analyst through to a trainer. Um, I ended up traveling quite a lot across Europe. Uh, I then basically saw a lot of guys with sharp suits and flash cars in sales. And I, I thought, I'll have a bit of that. Um, so jumped onto the pre-sales side, then sales, and cut a very, very long story short, after seven years of being there, I was running their international channel business, um, which was you know, a pretty rapid rise through the ranks. Um, and I would say the thing that really was I would say the first jump for me was I was always a bit of a hustler. I could figure out the people that I could work with, where I could learn more, I could gain more knowledge. Maybe they could help me step up the career ladder a bit. Um, that company, unbeknownst to us at the time, but basically was being set up to be sold. Half that, the company got split in half. Half of it went to a company called Platinum Technologies that became Computer uh, uh, CA. Uh, and the other part went to an organization in, in Cheltenham. And uh, I went to the CFO at the time and said, you've got a big problem with a channel. You've got a bunch of liabilities and I can run that channel for you. Um, we couldn't collect cash. So I basically went out uh, debt collecting and collected, uh, set up a bank account. Back in the days when you could set up business bank accounts pretty pretty quickly without sort of all the money laundering issues. Um, and, and did, in hindsight, what was a, an MBO, management buyout. Didn't realise it was management buyout. But after about six weeks, I collected about half a million pounds in this bank account, and I cut a deal with the then CFO um, that I'd split that 50-50 with him and then run his channel business for him. So I did that for a couple of years, and that was like the, that was the real jump for me. You know, So income went up, I jumped, and I started using that to bring, this is way before the dot-com boom, US organizations into Europe and use that channel. And that was sort of the first real jump. That's where it all started. I mean, and that's, that's quite a... A big move. I mean, yeah. as as we're talking, that is you, all you know, all over. That's my perception yeah. of you that hmm. I really know, and probably others is that you know <clears throat> you, you talk and move at a, a pace, hmm. you know, and the trajectory that you've gone from your leads poly hmm. up hmm. to that point. But I'm really interested in going back to the 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 leads poly you. Hmm what would your view firstly could you see that that move that you made around that mbo or being having that having that no. uh, ability to do that what what help me fill in the so I, I i i had ambition i knew i wanted to be in technology i thought i wanted to be a technologist but i realized that my after a, a couple of years of being a technologist that i didn't find it as stimulating as i thought it was I would, and actually, the things I enjoyed more was the commercial aspects of it. Not only the sales, but the commercial mm -hmm. aspects and working with the commercial people. Um, 
And, and, you know, to a certain extent at that age, it, frankly, it was about money. I mean, this is back in the day, sort of pre-internet, you get computing and computing weekly and it was chock-a-block full full of ads and you could see all the... That's a Bible. All the ads for, for, for you know, sales roles and pre-sales roles and the, the, the money, you know, that was being offered. And, and to start with, it was about a lifestyle. Um, uh, it was about moving on, being successful, um, I was very competitive. I still am very, very competitive. Probably some of that com competitive nature has dropped a bit. But I love the sport. I love the sport of business as well. And I think all the way through my career, even up to now, having, I suppose, been schooled as a sports person, having played lots of team sports and understanding the dynamics of a team, I still apply that now. And I think that was the thing was, did I have a master plan that said at 30, I'm going to be this, 40, I'm going to be this, 50, I'm going to be this? No. But I sort of had a view as to where I wanted to be. But I would always see the opportunities and go for the gap, as it were. Do you, do you think people genuinely do have a master plan? Or is it a load of BS and it's just retrospective? Is I, that think, I, think, I, think, I think some people do. And there's nothing wrong with having a master plan. Mm. But, you know, I think you've got to, be a, you've got to adapt. And, and as, as, as life moves on and as, I suppose, family life moves on, there's, 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 there's different requirements as you go through that. So, you know, I can think of stages of my career where it bluntly made more sense to, you know, be around more for the family because that was, that was you know, the, the appropriate thing to do and the right thing to do at that particular point in time and not do other things. But, you know, I don't sit here and regret any of that because that was absolutely the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you... I've met lots of people that have the master plan and often they just end up getting disappointed. I think being adaptable, um, seeing opportunity, creating opportunity is the key thing. I'm, I don't believe in luck, never believing in luck. No. You know, there's, you know, it's the old Gary Player quote, you know, the, the, old, the, the harder I practice, the luckier I get, I think it was right. Gary Player. But uh, you have to create the opportunity. And I, I think in, a, in an early age, in certainly in my 20s and in my early 30s, I... I I searched for opportunity and associated myself with organizations and people that could give me opportunity and the tiniest, tiniest gap, I'd go for it. Right, that's, that's really interesting. I think when I, I just reflect on my own um, experience and that, that thing, that drive and that pace that was there, you know, I, I, I looked at my dad, mm. you know, I'm looking at influences around mm. me because you don't just wake up with that thing, mm. genetically have that mm. thing. I think that's something that you move you move mm. forward with. And I, I and I saw his pace and I saw us move up, you know, out of a um, in, into a different environment mm. because of the work, because yeah. of the determination that uh, he gave. So, you know, did, did you have those influences around you? Yeah, huge, hugely. I mean, you know, there was three brothers in the family. My brother's much older than me, but there was a lot of competition in the family. As I say, it was a, it was a sporting family. My father was an ex-professional rugby player, played for Castleford and Featherstone Rovers. Um, I grew up playing lots and lots of sport, um, but also school was very, very important too. Um, I had to specialise. I ended up specialising in rugby from I don't know, the age of 14, 15 to 26. Played like you with, with your football, you know, yeah. played, played to a pretty good standard. And that, you know, that work ethic of doing your school work, doing your college work, then getting the training in and then being your best at both things you can, no matter how good or bad you are, just trying your best, um, continues now.
I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, is, it, is, it is the backbone of the person that I am is just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it yeah. and still do that now. Use those positive influences around you. Yeah, positive, and, but, but and... positive to a certain extent, but also it's, it's, it's good to get kicked a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, and, life, and, right? and, 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 you know, I think, you know, being knocked about a bit, you know, bizarrely is, is a good thing. And it's those things that, that, that improve you. You know, I think more, I think through my career and through life, I have gained so much more from the failures than I have from the wins. And I think also that sort of, you know, when I was, when I was, when I, when I, when I run and when I have run sales organizations or been part of a sales organization, it's, it's, you know, it's a dreadful phrase, but it's the hunt, not the kill. Mm. You know, the run up to the end of a queue when I was in some of those sort of, you know, big, real, you know, fully functioning US sales organizations. Um, that was the most amazing time. And as soon as we'd made the number, it was it was almost depressing. You know, it was it was it was dreadful. Um, you all go out for a drink and celebrate and it's like, oh, you know, but it was more about that drive. And, and it's the same thing. You know, I think through my rugby career, I'd much rather win a game, you know, 16, 15 in extra time than, than win 30 nil. Madman. Yeah. It's because it's, it's, it. it's about the fight. It's about the chase, you know, and 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 and, uh, and and working with a team to enable you to get there, you know, together. And again, having that team spirit. And we obviously, you know, experienced that together when we were at Integralis NTT, you know, having the team and having that team spirit is is amazing. Yeah, and that's probably a good, you know, because I think you described that uh, first period of your business life as a phase one. It felt like yeah. that that was the, the that was the platform mm. um, to to go on to do other other things. Yeah. You know, I I think back to when I first met you, um, and the perception I got of you, just you know, is it, light years from what. I actually know, you know, know of you today, <laughs> and, and uh, it's really interesting because um, you know, I can remember when did you start Integralis? What was the year? Uh, two thousand nine. Two thousand nine, mm. and um, and I, I actually remember coming in to see you. You just joined. I, I was no doubt cocky with some hair back then, and still are. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that. Mm. But, um, and I remember going in the room thinking, <clears throat> and I can break down most people within, you know, minutes. That's what I was good at. And and I'm I'm in there trying to, you know, get around. It was obvious. I was like, I'm getting nowhere with this guy. And I remember making a comment because I hated golf as well. And that, I thought that was the only thing we yeah. had in common. I don't hate golf. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a golfer. You're not I a golfer. I, I, I hate golf. I hate golf, no. Yeah, I can but, appreciate golf. But, yeah. you, well, that's, you know, definitely, I'm not saying that. My dad was a big golfer, so I'm Fair, fair yeah. dues, fair yeah. dues. And you're right to pull me up on that. But I remember us having that conversation and it, it was it was cold. And uh, you weren't interested in the, the background that I'd done or anything because I think, you know, and when I look fast forward, like you, you are kind, considerate, generous. Because I and I probably am best to know you, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. pretty well over mm -hmm. the, over the last few years. And it's interesting to to get that that dynamic because actually, what you don't realise was that you being like that uh, for me was a motivator. And weirdly, you know, that not getting the the you know I was 
used to getting the, you're amazing, you you know, you're always delivering you this. I thought, right, I've got to prove this guy that I'm the, that I, I know I can walk yeah. the wall. And this, and I thought, you know, only as you get, you know, older, you you realise that's actually a, a really interesting. It's 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 deliberate. You talk about the shell in in your introduction. You talk about um, breaking people down. I'm probably going to say things now. I you know I've got to be cautious about for my current role and future roles. Yeah, letting right. all my secrets down. No out. one's listening. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, certainly when you're into an organisation, you, you've it's it's a bit like going to a new school. You know, you can reinvent yourself a bit. Mm. Um, I'd much rather go into a new organisation and just be a little bit. Um, I suppose warm, warmth, but with a with a pretty big shell there as well. On. Yeah. Because because if you go in too relaxed, especially you know bluntly, that sales team Integralis was a what I would call a meat eating sales team. You know, uh, in uh, pros and cons of that. Mm. So so there was a degree of I had to control that environment because frankly at the time that that team was was very good but it needed a lot of controlling and probably had didn't have the control that we needed in terms of the things that we needed to get to so it was very very deliberate on 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 my part and it's much then easier to relax down once once you get in but again you you've got to you've got to have that um you know you've got to, you've almost got to have that relationship that that uh, and I talk a lot you know more at home than I than I do at work about you know I have work friends and I have friend friends even today um, because you know bluntly sometimes you have to have a really tough conversation with with that work friend um, and I'd rather not be in that situation you know I've, I I I very often don't work with previous colleagues just because it makes frankly life easier. Um, and also you can sort of reset relationships as well. And you potentially need a different approach for the different types of companies you're working in and also the different sort of problem domains you, you, you find yourself in as well. So I would say what you, what you experienced there was, I'd already done the background on you. I knew you were a successful rep and you were running a good team. I also knew you were a cocky bleep. Yeah. Um, um, so that needed just a bit bit of management, but over time, that relaxed relaxed out a bit. But also, every now and again, if you stepped out of line, you get the metaphorical clip around the ear, which is what 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 then gains the respect. No, it's, it, it, and it, and it is interesting. It's only as you grow more, you get more experience yourself that you you can see you can see that as yeah. a as a useful mm. a useful trait. I think the thing that I really. Um, but battle with a little bit and I'll be interested to get your view is being authentic mm. and I think I think when I you know you hear or listen to either content or podcasts mm. or interviews around that there's this big you know I, <laughs> I'd say a little bit um, o o OTT on that mm. authenticity side because mm. I think you can be private as well mm. um, and that's something I've, I've constantly trying to be because I want to be myself all the yeah. time because there's nothing better than being um, myself um, making decisions based on that rather than you know bit, bit, you know having an alter ego which I think corporate life can mm. build you into and, mm. and it certainly did for me um, 
and I, I was ne- never happier than I am now mm. being able to be myself. But how, do, how have you in a corporate environment or in a, a work environment, let's just say, I don't really like the word corporate, in a work environment, how does that, how do you, how do you get that balance right? Well, you, I mean, you, you, you have to have your underlying ethics. Um, and I would say to a certain extent, your underlying personality type. If you're going, if you're going in, you know, trying to fake a personality type, and if you'd sort of done any, you know, analysis and look at personalities over mm. types, whether that be a formal training or just being a people person and understanding what makes people tick, it's it's really hard to fake that. So you you have to be genuine. But I uh, but I always, you know, I always, uh, well, not so much during lockdown, but you know, as 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 soon as you close that door behind you, my attitude is I'm on the clock, um, uh, and I would say to a certain extent I have a work personality. I mean what my kids and wife see of me is very, very different to uh, my my work personality, but yet you'll still see that in in the you know in in the working environment. Um, uh, I, I I I tend to be as formal as I need to be, but I also realise that the business that I'm in is is a is a is a people business, is a social business, is a trust business. Um, but also you you need to be cognizant of the fact that not everybody is aligned with 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 your way of thinking and your personality type and you there's pros and cons of that i mean getting the best out of a team for example is about marrying multiple personality types um how i deal with that is i suppose as i say i i i you know the door the front door of the house closes i leave the house metaphorically or i go into my home office or whatever it may be um um and you know i'm still being genuine but but there's there's a, there's a role that i have to play in the same way, to a certain extent, I'm playing a, a role when I'm a dad, a, a role when I'm a husband, a role when, you know, I, I think that's a sports a, person. That's a, cool, be. Yeah. that's a cool analogy because, you know, as you're talking, you know, I'm thinking about um, being a football man, looking at a coach analogy yeah. where, you know, probably Antonio Conte, the Spurs coach, is probably different around the breakfast table yeah, yeah, absolutely. than he is when he's trying to tell... Harry Kane not to take mm. corners, mm. Um, and it's a different mm. a different outlook. That still doesn't mean he's not authentic. No. It it just means you know he's dealing with different people. Yeah, and and frankly, if you are inauthentic, you, you that will, that will come through very very quickly. And again, mm. it comes down to the fundamentals of humanity. You know, and and trust is one of those things. Yeah. If somebody's being fake, you're going to spot it at a thousand paces. Tosses you know, come out of the wash, don't yeah, they? Absolutely. Um, so, so that's that's the thing you you you've got you've got to be true to your core values, um, um, uh, and you've got to be able to to stand up and, and and stand by those. And I found myself in situations where, you know, in some in some work environments, it just hasn't worked out because it just it, it doesn't align with with my way of thinking. So I've made the decision and qualified out and and walked. You know, I do love a cock up. Now. Come you on. have many of them. So. I've had loads of them. I've had a few bumps. Uh, that'll be, I'm sure, covered on another episode because that 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 needs its own thing. But uh, I'd love to hear about yours because you've got this kind of steely, you know. Come on, what's the biggest cock up? I, I there's been hundreds. Now. That's how you yeah. learn. I said that said that earlier. Yeah, one that I don't yeah. know about. Oh, oh uh, there's, there's a lot of those as well. Uh, it's interesting driving up here today. I was sort of thinking about, you know, uh, you know, I had a hunch you'd ask me about cock ups, and you you mentioned you might be asking about. I would say uh, uh, the things early in my career that I screwed up that's helped me 
now as it, it makes sense is i had a um yeah back in uh lbms which was my my first my first role i found myself in this um international channel role um uh over time a lot of the other guys and girls on the team were sort of taken out it was left me and i basically had europe um to look after but i also had uh, what was the you know recent Eastern Europe? The wall had you know come down only a few few years prior, um, with a lot of activity sponsored by the EBRD, um, European Bank for Regional Development, um, uh, in Southern Africa uh, and in specifically in South Africa. Um, and I was working with what was a very Afrikaans partner, and it was in the you know the. Uh, the sort of Mandela out of jail rise, um, which was again really culturally interesting to see, but also from a business perspective as well, and also in India, um, where the market was being hugely deregulated. And I can remember going to data centers that were quite literally in chili fields, um, and they were, um, you know, having the most amazing technology in there, and they were they were doing a lot of uh, Y2K work there recoding and they had better response times in you know a field outside of bangalore which still was there it was a really really small you know town um than the guys had on the you know uh, the, the it team had you know one floor above the trading floor it's quite quite unbelievable so but that was amazing because it was a bit like a gold rush um, um and there was a lot of uh, a lot of business to be done we were doing a huge amount of business um, through our partners, um, and I would literally leave, leave the house, um, um, you know, on a Sunday night or a f uh, Monday morning. You know, get back on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. You know, my my wife, my apologies again to my wife. You know, um, she was a single, pretty much a single mum for the first eighteen months of that that stage, um, and I would literally fly around around Emir, you know, country, country, country. Sometimes two countries in one day effectively doing deals and um i got into a, a, a deal uh which seemed like a great deal at the time uh, i won't tell you where or with who um it was a shared risk sort of joint venture type thing um didn't talk too much about my to my bosses about it it just sounded like a great deal i could make oh, some money here. To look a superstar yeah, absolutely <laughs> uh and 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 it became very very apparent you know only a few weeks in that this was going to be a you know we were going to make a big loss on this deal um and I think they worked me over a bit as well. They could see I was a bit of a, you know, yeah, still a bit, bit of that, keen. bit bit too overly keen. Um, and I started losing a lot of sleep about this. You know, uh, you know, sort of it came to light, spoke to my boss about it, and, and they, it was sort of went quiet for a bit. And I was basically called in on Monday morning, and so I had to sweat through the weekend. I really thought I was going to lose my job. My boss at the time... Uh, American gentleman um, uh, called Robin Dahlberg, uh, who was very naturalized European, Europhile, really, really very nice guy. Robin taught me a hell of a lot um, and, and, and brought me in and, and asked me to walk through the deal, what had happened, walk me through the things I could have done differently. Um, and his closing statement was, with, obviously without the, the bluntness of the language, I don't mind you screwing up, you know, just don't make the same screw up again. Um, and I've used that phrase a ton of times and sometimes I've let um, uh, you know people that work for me you know metaphorically crash the car into the tree because they need to do that I know that I know they're not going to kill themselves I know the airbags going to go off metaphorically speaking but they need that rattle and, and that was probably one of the first big rattles I had and I also the leadership that Robin 
you know, um, uh, gave me was was very very strong uh, and and really really hit home. So, cock ups are a funny thing because you have to yeah. learn from. I stood my toes still curl on that one because they just these guys just saw me coming. I was just 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 dumb. Yeah, I, fast and done. It's funny, you know, because those are the things that stick in you, and as you say, the important thing is to learn from. And mm. I felt when I was early on, you might, and I still made loads of cock ups, but uh, I, I do remember one that 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 just brings to mind, and it's slightly off the doing a deal thing that you talked about, and you used the car into a tree analogy. I remember joining, you know, into Gralis, um as a guy called Neil Lillywhite, who yeah. we both know yeah. really well. Um, you, know, you know, Neil was a really big influence mm. on me, and a, you know, and a, a top guy. And um, it, he, I remember coming in and um, just joined, I just joined from a, a vendor called Crossbeam. And it, and it was at a time where I think that Integralis were going through some, mm. through some changes. So, you know, culturally different, you know, Neil's great guy for coming in there and, and shaking things up and uh and i was brought in i think everyone was very skeptical of me coming in being one mm. of neil's crews mm. you would often mm. be and the thing he you know he said to me was you know keep it keep it cool keep it under the radar yeah. and i think it was the first week i was in my car in the car park and re reversed and hit <laughs> i think it was one of the fleet cars within the first week and having to go and i remember that conversation that is a typical you know little thing little little thing yeah. uh, but nicely I'm, under the radar the, yeah. under, well done yeah. jamie well yeah. done jamie yeah. but 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 good stuff so just drawing on something a little bit more i guess a more serious mm. side what's the you know the hardest thing what's the toughest thing that you've had to overcome um you know in business uh well, there's been there's been i mean so uh i think letting folks go is always really 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 hard especially letting a well-performing person or team go that's that's awful uh, and even if it's an underperforming situation it's still an, an awful thing to have to do um i think um Sometimes when you're asked to, let's say, tow the corporate line mm. and you don't agree with it and you've got to get a bit corporate, that's pretty tough. Um, constantly tough, I would say, is work-life balance. The, the sacrifices family has to make because I have to do what I do. Uh, and I've certainly had times in my career when that's been uh, really significant and the balancing that out. You know, I'm... I'm uh, I'm a firm believer of what I call the triangle of life. I don't know if this is a thing or not. You know, one one side of the triangle is work, the other side is family, and the other side is self. You yeah. know, I had a, a lot of times when my triangle was very obtuse. You know, completely right. flat, all work and and not not a lot else. Um, and and you convince yourself that's for the good of everything. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. Um, but I would say. I would say that they're the, they're the three things that spring to that, that spring to mind. It's it's you know, making very tough decisions. If they're the right decisions, it's easier. If they, if you don't feel they're the right decisions, that's incredibly hard. I think that was the, the thing I, I, I would, you know, I have to make tough decisions every day being a business owner. But I feel that at least they're decisions that I can, yeah. you know, as, as, mm. as, as harsh as 
they can be and the, the decisions I can make. Yeah. And that was probably for me the the toughest thing was, you know, mate, as you say, the toe in the line. Mm element um was always difficult you never did that anyway no i know but i'll pretend on this yeah, yeah, yeah. on this podcast but no i i get that um we talked a little bit about um mentor mm. and good good guidance mm. and um mm. talk to me you know mentoring is again one of those things that i think is being dined out on a little bit mm. um um it at the moment on social mm. media and I think generally mm. um, it's really hard because I think there's bits you can get from lots of different people. Mm. So I'd be interested to take your, get your take on mentorship and the positive mentoring that you, yeah. Uh, and what, like, what stood out for those people over others? I mean, in hindsight, I was incredibly lucky that I had mentors. I probably didn't realize that I had mentors and I think that's always the best mentor. In, in my in, well, in my in, 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 in my experience yeah, I, I mean when i've been asked to mentor when you you have to mentor yeah you can, you can certainly do that it's like but, false fun isn't it well to a certain extent yeah i mean yes yes and yes and no and i think that's part of that's part of a, your role when you become you know move into management in into leadership you know that's all part of the role is 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 getting the best out of people you know um you know getting the, the dynamics right but you know certainly earlier in my career I had some amazing men. Obviously, I mentioned Robin, Robin Dahlberg yeah. early on, LBMS. Um, another guy there called Mark Sherratt, who uh, who was an ex rugby player, you know, Welsh rugby player, you know, from a pretty senior senior level. Just we saw eye to eye. Frankly, he calmed me down. You know, he 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 directed me a bit and just calmed me down and got me going in the right direction, like almost like a bit like a rugby coach. You know, you, there was raw talent there, but it was being sprayed all over the place. Um, um, stepping from LBMS into the, the next company I went to. So I, I did my MBO thing for a couple of years. The CFO of LBMS, who I would then work with through that time and then brought, brought me into a company called Mission Critical Software that was like crazy through the dot-com boom. Um, IPO secondary, I went through, I ran Europe, grit hugely, a guy called Steve Odom, um, uh, Texan guy, just took me under his arm and again just just directed me and uh was almost like a father-like figure to me really you know fantastic guy but again just calm me down you know all these people have given me what i call my nuggets of gold sometimes i remember them sometimes i don't but in appropriate situations i can say a phrase that one person another person said to me and then then moving on um when i was at verisign definitely a guy called chris parsons uh, who was a who was a wise a very wise guy um, in many ways, um, but again just 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 you know uh, helped me out. And then latterly uh, a guy called Mark McLaughlin, who was a CEO yeah. of Paolo Paolo Alto Networks, um, who to a certain extent when I became COO and CEO of NTT Security, I was always pretty close to Mark. We did a lot of work with Paolo Alto, but also there was that that heritage there. And again, he just sort of helped me. I mean, for dinner every now and again, it was business, but then we'd always have a chat afterwards. And uh, and and his right hand man, Mark McLock, uh, Mark Anderson, as well. Right. So those two guys right. are power. Just just you know, um, thank you guys, uh, um, uh, because it was just that wisdom that you I could sort of talk. I would say in, in a relatively safe environment, and I wouldn't necessarily be bringing problems to any of these people. It would just be 
we talk about situations and you know you'd be chatting over dinner or over breakfast or whatever it may be and some of the things they just helped me out with just you know because when you the higher up you get the less help you have yeah yeah and that's and it becomes a lot it becomes a lot yeah. lonelier um and and then you get a degree of what I sort of call professional paranoia of can I trust this person to not say something, and then who do you speak to? Um, that that's that's always quite quite tricky I think. Then it becomes a bit of a peer group thing, and I can think about situations when I've been you know much further on in my career where you know I can think of you know people that I've worked with or have worked for me that are now in you know really significant positions and. You know, I can remember, you know, another situation which I'm not going to talk about with a with a guy that, you know, just just gave me a bit of a shake, and it was actually, you know, I needed that. I needed a, a big kick, and that happened to be fairly recently. Yeah. So so it sort of flows, it flows through, and and it and I would say the more experienced you get, um, the more you become reliant on your peer group than you do on formal mentors. Really interesting observation, um, and look, you looking back, I think m my kind of take on that is around mentorship, is that it's, the consistent theme seems to be, you know, people giving you time, mm -hmm. and and they're people giving you time, not necessarily looking for anything really back, you mm -hmm. know, even people having dinner with you around mm -hmm. work, that people mm -hmm. don't have to do those things, mm -hmm. and, and for me, I think that that's something that I can draw on as well because uh, actually mentoring isn't a person telling someone they're right or wrong or what to do. It's actually a collective of influence and people around you who will give you the time. Mm. That's what I, I, you know, I believe and I think my kind of, my, my sort of takeaway on that is spend time with people that make you feel good about being around them yeah um, i wouldn't say necessarily make you feel good it's sometimes good good to be corrected and redirected yeah. and you need to kick up the backside and sometimes if your ego gets out gets in the way you often need somebody just to bring you just yeah, back you know, down to reality I, I a bit good can yeah. be also like yeah. someone who goes come on jamie yeah. and i'm lucky that mm. I'm, I'm blessed i've got people mm. around me who when I, you know, when I say, I think when if I look back 20 years ago, someone who's, who made me feel good was literally someone who told me mm. I was great all the time. And, yeah. and uh, that isn't what makes me feel no. good now. What mm. makes you good now is transparency and honesty and actually someone giving you that time. Mm. So the definition of my good's probably changed. Mm. Um, whereas my good, you know, whereas just someone telling you you're great. Yeah. So I think... I think that's important. I think I th so. I think uh, you know. It depends. It depends where you are and what you're doing. Especially if you're going to in going into a new role, sometimes you do need that guidance. You know, somebody that's done that before. Going into new areas, you need because because you because there's often an assumption that you know somebody who's a really strong you know has many times you know somebody who's a really strong individual con contributor. You assume naturally because they're a great in individual contributor, they can be a great manager, a manager of people. Um, and often they're not, and you know, because you've been a great, I don't know, SVP sales, you can naturally step up to be a COO or a CEO. Um, but that's often not. That's, that's not often, the case. Not the case. And, and also not what something maybe you feel like you have to do rather yeah. than. Uh, and I remember being told that that yeah. don't worry, Murphy. Your next gig, you'll be running this up here. Yeah. I'm thinking, 
I know, I'm not maybe interested yeah. in that bit. Yeah, um, I think I think it's good. So I think uh, you know you often have the answers, but you don't realise you have the answers, or yeah. you don't trust the answers. Um, and there's a com- it's a combination of you know I would say time in the time in the saddle, understand the process, and natural capability. And I used to say that a lot about salespeople. Those those three things are critical. If you've got two of those three, you do, you're going to be pretty successful. Three of those three, you're going to knock it out of the park. One of those three, forget about it. Mm. And I think that applies actually to 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 most roles. Um, and and having working with somebody. So theoretically, a CEO should be working with a chairperson, and that chairperson should be helping that CEO develop and go to the to the next stage. You know, I you know. <laughs> I remember when I when I stepped up NTT Security from being COO to CEO, and Luke Luz, who is the, the chairman of uh, of the board, uh, who is a you know long time NTT guy, and so I said to him, "So what do you want me to do?" And he said, "Just make decisions. We we, we don't care what decisions you make. Okay, just try make try concern. try and try and try and make more positive decisions than negative <laughs> decisions, but just make you need to move the business on, and that's mm-hmm. why we want you in that role. And and I swear for the first six six weeks." I was a random decision generator, you know, and uh, you'd, 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 you'd listen, you know, and you, 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 you know, you, you, you trust your gut a bit. And, and sometimes you would go back to Luke or somebody else and have a conversation, but it was literally make decisions because the, because the business just needed to move. And I think sometimes you just, you just got to do that, move it on and trust mm-hmm. in yourself. I've also seen people and I've worked with people that have had a huge amount of executive coaching. And I can think of one particular person, I'm not going to name names who I worked for previously, who needed a tremendous amount of executive coaching. And, and actually, it almost stifled that that sort of natural, you know, um, and it, yeah, and they almost were thinking too much about the structure and all the things they had to do. And, um, uh, and, and you know, I think you can overtrain, you can overcoach. It's, probably, it's just, again, we're going back to sport analogy. I think you can overtrain people. You know, let yeah. let let the, if, if somebody's a natural footballer, let them play football. You know, let them run. You know, yeah. let them kick the ball off the pitch and, and and run after it. And I think that's to a certain extent that's the same with 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 you know bringing people through an organisation. I'm a massive advocate for um, you know giving people that rope. You know, uh, I want them to I want to seem excited by it probably a bit nervous by it, not quite sure what they're going to do with it with regards to delegation, you know, but it's my job to make sure they don't hang themselves with it. But delegate, 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 and then let people go run because you'll you'll get the best out of people because of that. Oh, for sure. The most rewarding part of what I do is seeing people develop. Yeah. Um, and that's overtaken my own need to develop yeah. and that becomes more important. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, you know, that, that, that makes me feel good. Yeah. That's a yeah. difficult thing. So, and same, same for me. It's great to see people grow. Great to see people, have, you know, have, have worked with you and, and have grown up and beyond. It's great to see. Genuinely, it's one of the things that keeps, keeps me ticking. Yeah. I mean, it's lovely. You know, I've got that a, a, a group of friends that we all work together at, mm. at Gralis, as mm. we call it, fondly. And it is great to see that. And even you know, some of the... The, the, the young young kids there, yeah. you know, develop and do good things. And that's that's what it's all yeah. about. Big shout out to them. Um, so I we've, we've gone through a lot of, you know, work aspects mm. and um, maybe mentor mentorships that have, have helped you, you know, nurture and develop your own career and how you've, that's helped others. Mm. Um, but out, outside of work, um, I'm interested to, to, I mean, rugby is obviously something you've called out. Yeah. 
But big thing for me, Simon, as you know, is 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 music. Mm. Uh, what what's the first record that made you dance? First record that made me dance. Well, I don't dance. I'm not a very good dancer. No. I'm an underconfident dancer. Are you? We need uh, to work on that. No, I, really, I really don't. I I would say. Um, uh, got your foot tapping. What was the first one? Got your foot tapping. I I, w- I would probably say something from uh, Stevie Wonder, maybe. Nice. Yeah, yeah I'll go uh, with that. Um, quite an early memory. My 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 brother and actually my dad was into Stevie Wonder. My dad was really into jazz, and my yeah. brother's influence on him. Um, yeah, so superstition's got a bit of a special place in my mm. my heart, as it were. Um, so, what music I listen to now? Yeah, come on, yes. Yeah, I listen to. So, I would say it depends on my mood, as always. So, I grew up. The family was a jazz house. Uh, my brothers are really into rock music. So, I would say through my teens, I was massively into rock music. But I also had that underlining jazz um uh r&b original r&b you know yeah. sort of you know um uh, uh 12 bar blues and all that sort of stuff um you know fabulous thunderbirds uh dr feelgood you know oh, hey. uh, way way back and good. then then i'd say more into the sort of rock music so you know i still like a bit of ac dc every now and again no, i knew you liked a bit of that bit, I bit, to bit, bit, that. bit of motorhead and and i i actually really like dance music not just because you're sitting there but more no. of the the heavier stuff so well, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Chemical Brothers fan, mm. Underworld, um, uh, Orbital. You know, that's that's the stuff I like. I like listening to. Um, but yeah, there's also there's a bit of, little bit of underlining sort of jazz funk, a bit of Bowie in there as well. So yeah, nice. it depends. It's I, I think it's 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 I think you find yourself getting labelled, um, and I would say my musical taste is definitely changes over time. It also depends on my mood. I mean. My wife and actually my kids have been a huge influence on my musical taste as well. So, so yeah, yeah, good music is good music. You know, I could appreciate good artists as well. I, I don't like manufactured music; can't stand it. Um, so yeah, try and stay away from that. Simon, a- any regrets? Um, do you know fundamentally? Uh, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of there are no such thing as regrets. I said that about luck. Um, there's lots of things I could have done better. But that's in the past. Hopefully, I've learned from that, and I can only improve from there. It sounds really, really cheesy, but I don't beat myself up for not doing something. No. There's just no point, you know. Is that something you develop though over time, where the fear maybe? I suppose it has. I suppose I have developed a bit. You know, I'm, I'm probably I could list out a whole bunch of regrets, but but ultimately, it's wasted energy. You know, as long as I've learned from that, um, and then I can apply that to improve myself going forwards. You know. Um, I'm 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 really big into it. Sounds dreadful. It sounds really weird. Into personal continuous improvement, mm. and my family sometimes accuse me of brainwashing them <laughs> or, or myself. But it's me mirroring back on myself, saying, "Right, you know, I felt like that last time around. I'm not going to feel like this this time around. This is why I'm not going to do that." So I'm thinking about that a lot. And again, back to my sporting heritage, I do a lot of mental imagery. Yeah, not quite as bad as that, you know. Alan Partridge, Death of a Salesman, calling himself a tiger in the mirror. Uh, uh, but you know that that sort of stuff. You know, just just and 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 I, you know, we all have doubts. Everybody has doubts. You're not natural if you don't have doubts. Mm-hmm. And I think doubts actually makes you a stronger person as long as you don't let the doubts get on top of you. So um, no, I can I can honestly say no regrets. Oh, 
I can, I can say regrets, but I'm not going to allow myself to 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 because there's nothing I can do about those now. Yeah, I can make amends by sort of saying I'm sorry or I should have done it this way or I wish <laughs> it you know shoulda coulda woulda. This is this is almost no point. No, and and I think um, I think that's only natural yeah. that if they feel there's things you could have done better. But yeah, I'm I'm pleased that there's no there's no reg- regrets there. And listen, I really appreciate your time. Love talking to you as always. Could do it for hours longer and I hope you enjoyed it. Well, next time we should do it over a beer. But, but thank Man, you. It's way too early yeah. for that, but I like the style. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Cheers, Very man. nice to speak to you. Thank Cheers, you. Man.